0: Hey, welcome to the Disciples of Euchre podcast, episode 36. My name is Vinit Barot, and with us today is Kyle Leshneski from Reviewing Brew. Hey, Kyle.
1: Hey, Vinit. How's it going?
0: Um, happy Memorial Day.
1: Yeah, you too. hope you're having a nice uh, nice three-day weekend.
0: Absolutely. Um, I caught a little bit of the game, of the Brewers game, I think it was on Friday, but I actually haven't been watching too many, because it turns out they're, they're starting to... They're starting to win, and it's kind of a weird feeling because you know that it's a lost season, and they'd probably be better off with the number three pick than the number eight pick. But at the same time, when you're watching the game, you you know you want them to score runs and and like win the game.
1: Yeah, it's been um, it's been interesting to watch. I think uh, I saw something this morning that they're down to sixth or seventh in the tank standings, if you want to call them that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the difference between this season versus a season in like 2013, where they kind of played their way out of that top pick, is they're um, doing it kind of focused uh, more around guys that'll try, that are trying to win a role going forward. Guys like um, Hernan Perez and Zach Davies is actually pitching really well right now, and Taylor Youngman and and guys that are looking to be a part of the next winning core rather than last time it was a lot of you know, older players and then kind of patchwork younger guys that came up and and convinced the team not to or to delay the rebuilding process a little bit i guess if you want to look at it that way
0: sure um hey before we get into the nitty-gritty of the team uh why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself like how you got into uh into writing and I know you've been on radio shows and stuff and uh how that how that came about
1: um I've always been as long as I followed baseball I've always been a Brewers fan and um I kind of once all the sabermetric stuff started coming out and and all that kind of stuff I just kind of got swept up a little bit into that I'm really into numbers and mathematics and and things like that and I just um I kind of started writing because I was listening to uh was listening to sports radio and and hearing a lot of opinions and things that i disagreed with and just thought you know i could i could put out there uh, things that i think and probably sound a lot better than some of these some of these people do so i don't know i've always just liked um just like trying to put my thoughts out on on paper and on words and and let people know what i think and and get that feedback from people and just a, just a way to foster conversation about about my favorite team and the sport I love. And um, I don't have a whole lot of, like, formal background in that. I um, haven't. I didn't go to school for journalism or anything. I just love writing, so it just kind of something that happened out of nowhere.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are, uh, you know, listen to sports radio and think, man, I want to reply to this moron who called in. Like, maybe I can write it out nicely and neatly instead of yelling and calling in or something like that
1: right <laughs>
0: um but yeah no i i really like your writing i know that um, we have good conversations on twitter along with a lot of other people on on brewers twitter so i thought it was a good idea to have you on uh, it's kind of a, a slow um month and and figured it would be a good time to have somebody and, and get uh someone like you to give us your assessment of the team overall um and just you know. The front office and where that's going so we could start off with maybe talking about Doug Melvin stepping down which is um, a little surprising because it, you know I think it was the beginning of the year when I had said something like oh Doug can set his own contract uh, and he can like he can he can give himself an extension for however many years he wants to do you
1: remember that I think it was um, uh, Tom Hardercourt report that came out like in the middle or towards the end of spring training. Um, after after they uh, re-upped Renicki's contract, um, it was saying that uh, Doug Melvin's contract extension was kind of in his hands, and you know, as long as he wants to be here, that's how long he'll be here. And um, based on the things that kind of came out when he eventually did step down it sounds like this has been something that Doug and Mark have kind of been talking about for the better part of a year now. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, uh, Doug wanted to kind of take one more year and see, you know, where the team would go this year. And, you know, they, they stood kind of pat, uh, last off season and, kind of rolled the dice with the team again saying that uh, it was closer to the team that was in first place for 150 days and not the team that you know we watched collapse in September and obviously things didn't end up working out like that and um, I, I think that they probably could have announced this decision a lot earlier in the season but they wanted to wait so that there wasn't a lot of turmoil amongst the fan base and things like that while Doug was executing these rebuilding trades in July and the, and the, as far as the draft went in June and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it sounds like it's been something that's kind of been a long time coming. They just weren't exactly certain when they wanted to announce it. And then once the team started tanking at the beginning of the season, they wanted to kind of hold off, on making that announcement so that it they could kind of ease the fans into it.
0: Yeah, and and the situation isn't as bad as with uh, some of the other teams, you know, like with the Mariners, where the GM's gone, the Z has gone, and, and you're not really quite sure who's running it, at least as a fan. I mean, I'm sure maybe they're right. fine. That's the front office. But as a fan, you're like, I have no idea who's executing what moves. Whereas with Doug Melvin, you're like, okay, he's stepping down, new guy's going to come in. But um, while that search continues, it's not like the front office is in disarray. I mean, he's still going into work every day, and things are kind of ticking along. So, it, I mean, situation could be a lot worse. And overall, in the past few years at least, it's kind of a funny thing because the Brewers haven't done very well, but not a lot of, like, including the fan base, not a lot of people have put any of the blame on Doug Melvin um for better or for worse because i mean for the most part he's pulled the right strings including i would say the latest big one was the uh carlos gomez trade
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i thought that was a i thought that was a great move too i mean overall i think doug has done a pretty good job during his tenure as brewers gm i mean there's been some um some misses that look kind of bad in retrospect like uh the carlos lee trade and perhaps the scott linebrink deal and and um the David Risky contract and it it wasn't anything that really was a huge detriment long term for the organization but there are enough you know little chinks on the armor that that people look back and a lot of a lot of people that I've spoken to kind of have an unfairly unfavorable view of Doug Melvin but when you kind of step back and look at the big picture from where the brewers started when he took over and where they are now 13 years later it's it's a significant difference i mean um I've kind of likened it before to the way that uh, Ron Wolf had to come in with the Packers and just kind of totally change the culture. It's kind of similar to what Doug Melvin had to do. He had to come in in Milwaukee and rebuild things from the ground up and and reestablish Milwaukee as a viable destination for players to go and and reinvigorate the fan base. And I thought he did a pretty good job of doing that and um I think Mark Antanasio might have pushed him to do uh, push him to do some things he may not have been comfortable with or may not have been in the best interest long term of the franchise. But all in all, I think Doug did a did a pretty good job during his tenure in Milwaukee.
0: So let's get into some of those specifics. I mean, at least the recent ones because maybe they're they're happening now, so more fun to talk about. Um, the biggest free agent contract that the Brewers ever gave out was to Matt Garza, and. You know, Garza was just um, shut down for the rest of the season, and he was not very happy about it. But you know, didn't no reports of him breaking anything yet. But he he <laughs> didn't seem super happy about it. But at the same time, you look at his numbers, and you're like, dude, like I don't know if you have much to complain about.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, when you when you look at it, Garza definitely performed. Worth the money he made last year, I mean, he went, uh, he had a 3.64 ERA, a three point, mid-3.5 FIP. Um, he was worth 2.7 FWR last year, I believe. But it was just a totally different story this year. And if you remember back in spring training, there was a story that came out, and Garza talked about it openly, how he had worked to completely overhaul his mechanics during the offseason um, in an effort to better maintain his health during the season. And he, he accomplished that goal all in all. I mean, he would have been on pace to make 30 starts for, you know, the first time in probably five years and um, had a brief stint on the disabled list for 15 days in July, but he only ended up missing one start because of it. But the, the numbers overall just weren't there this year, no matter whether you're looking at ERA or, or something like that, or if you want to look at deserved run average or FIP, they, they all paint him as a below-average pitcher. Um, but I think a lot of that comes back to the mechanical changes that he was working on, as I had mentioned a little bit earlier earlier. Um, when he talked about it during spring training, he had talked about how he was still having a little bit of issues with his command and locating his pitches. And when you look at his overall performance this year, that was probably the biggest thing that he struggled with. He didn't he didn't have any major drops in velocity or, or anything like that. It was the fact that he couldn't hit the inside corner anymore. Everything was out over the middle of the plate and as a result getting hit hard. Um, so I think – Um, with a full off season of work, he can, you know, work to try and get his mechanics back in order and, and get his head on straight for next season. But I mean, I understand why he would be upset based on, um, the Brewers yanking him from the rotation this year, uh, just based on the structure of his contract with his vesting option in, uh, 2018, if, um, he makes 110 starts over the first four years of the contract, that's a $13 million option that vests, um, yeah, so uh, that's definitely. So be, if it,
0: if that's it wasn't the contract issue, um, you know, I, I mean, he probably, knowing you know him and him being a competitor, he probably still would have complained um, about being uh, t- taken out. But maybe it wouldn't have been as big of a deal because you know, hey, it's a losing season. They want to give young guys a chance, whatever. But this is a weird one because, yeah, like you said, it it affects his contract his vesting option, and um, but he's been really bad. So, I mean, I'm kind of torn in the – like, you know, sitting right on the fence here because I understand the Brewers wanting to, to try new guys out, but at the same time, this is your guy. He's going to be there at least for the next two years or so and probably, you know, veteran pitcher. I mean, uh, going to stick around and help your young guys develop – why would you, in a season that's gone already, why would you care about his performance? Like, let him work through it. If he wants to try something different over the next few starts or uh, throw more curveballs or whatever the hell he wants to do, like, you, maybe you give him free reign to do that instead of shutting him down.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm where I'm sitting with that, too, because even if the Brewers want to you know, try and move him or shop him, you, you want to try and, and give him some leash to work through these issues. And with wins and losses not really being of any object right now, I would think that these last few weeks of the season would be a good time for the Brewers to let him try and, and work through some of these issues. But at the same time, it is nice to see guys um, like uh, – Ariel Pena or Zach Davies come up and get a chance to show what they can do and show that, you know, maybe they can be a part of this core going, going forward long-term, but at the same time, you got to look at the investment you already have invested in a guy like Matt Garza, and you need to be looking, whether it's perform, his performance on the field or moving him for, for some future pieces, you need to look at trying to recoup some of that investment somehow.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's overall, it's really not that bad of a. Um, it's really not that that bad of a contract, even if he p- performs poorly, uh, and you know you hope he doesn't perform as poorly because it seems like he's sort of hit his bottom and all the all the other things that you talked about earlier. Uh, but if he performs okay, like a twelve and a half million dollars is not. It's not going to kill you no, over def- the next few
1: years. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, if he if he can get back to you know being a solid number four guy in the rotation and, and yeah. put up an ERA somewhere between three eight and 4.0, I mean that, that's a useful guy at twelve point twelve and a half million dollars, and you know that's about what you're going to pay fair market value for a guy like that on the on the free agent market. So right, uh, and uh,
0: we we also we had talked about this over Twitter, Kyle, which was what are they going to do with that money? Like, let's say, I mean it's one thing if you're going to get prospects in return, but if this is just basically a salary dump and uh, you know, you would, I think you would even raise the point of maybe the brewers have to give up a prospect to um, move the contract. Like if it's something to that extent, like what are you going to do with the money in rebuilding years?
1: Um, it, the biggest way that they could reinvest money like that would be, trying to make a blitz on the international market, which could be a good time next year. I think there are uh, five or six teams that won't be able to offer out any contracts over $300,000 just based on how, how much they maxed out their cap this year. Um, But if they don't have that, that's something that needs to be kind of prepared in advance. And if they don't have, you know, that lined up already, which prospects they're looking at and knowing the market um, for how much a certain player is, Going to be looking for in a bonus or anything like that, then um, it's just going to kind of be, uh, if they're not reinvesting that money, it's just going to be kind of a salary dump to make up for the fact that they're probably going to lose some fan attendance um, during these rebuilding years, which is really what drives a lot of their revenue stream.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the part where we get into gray areas where we don't really know much as fans, right? Like, because their apparel obligation for next year is what, 60 million maybe? I'm just, just roughly in yeah, my head. So,
1: something like that. And I think they've the only guys that are going to be going into arbitration are uh, Segura, Will Smith, and Willie Peralta. And I don't think any of those guys are going to net significant raises.
0: No. None of them will break bank, I don't think. So it's pretty low already. So at the, the same time, you're like, well – there should be room based on what your previous payrolls have been. There should be room for you to spend on the international market anyway, um, even if they don't move any contracts. So I guess I want to talk about the other contract, which like at least with the Garza one, I'm kind of you know, like I said, on the fence, I understand different points of view on it. But the Ryan Braun contract, I don't know, I just don't understand people calling the Ryan Braun contract a, a massive or a bad contract.
1: People want to get wrapped up in looking at his contract really kind of versus, I guess, the rest of the contracts on the Brewers. Yes, Ryan Braun is the highest paid contract on the Brewers, but he, in the landscape of Major League Baseball, his contract's really not that bad. Uh, $105 million over five years comes out to about a 20, $21 million annual uh, average value, and I know there's some deferred money in there. Um, but, I mean, when you look... At the dollar per war is around seven to eight million dollars this year, I believe. So, if Ryan Braun can be a three-win-above replacement player, he's doing more than enough to earn that twenty million dollar contract. And uh, as, you, as you had said, you know, there's not really a whole lot of guaranteed money on the books anyway next season. And if they're going to be looking to try and sell Ryan Braun right now, they're going to be selling low on him. I mean, he's having a terrific season this year, but um, people are still going to be pointing to the fact that, oh, you know, PEDs and the suspension and the thumb injury and this and that. And and the further away we get from those issues, the higher bronze – the higher bronze value is going to be.
0: He's also aging though, on the other hand.
1: Yeah, but um, he's not – look at look at some of the contracts that, that other players have gotten around the same age. Robinson Cano last year was, or when he signed his deal, excuse me, was 32, 31, 32, and he signed a 10-year contract. So looking at the fact that Ryan Braun's only going to be guaranteed five years, only going to be under contract through his age 37 season, when guys like Cano and and Cabrera and Victor Martinez even and Prince Fielder are under contract until they're into their early forties. Um, I think that that adds a little bit more value to um, to bronze deal.
0: Yeah. No. So that was going to be my next question. I mean, I'm not sure if uh and I, I know you weren't com- comparing directly to Cano because Cano had had, oh, yeah, and I, had I, I a much better from, seasons, uh, but yeah. right, right, right. In terms of age and and superstar status, yeah, definitely. Um, but I wonder if he was on the free agent market, would he get five years, hundred five million dollars?
1: Um, if Ryan Braun was a free agent right now, um, I bet you he could probably he could probably pull in something close to that. I mean, if if uh, Hanley Ramirez could get five years, ninety five million with a sixth year option for fifteen million, right? Uh, I think that Ryan Braun could probably get something pretty close to that.
0: That's probably a good comp, actually, Henley Ramirez, just because, especially knowing how bad badly he it that, that right? That it was a risk to move him off of shortstop, and he wasn't good at shortstop. so
1: Right, uh, and he's, yeah, now they're trying to move him to first base and hoping that they can salvage something out of that deal.
0: Right. Yeah, actually, you know, so if I had to guess if Ryan Braun were a free agent, I would say he'd probably get fewer years like maybe 4 year contract? Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of total dollars, it's not that far off.
1: Yeah, uh, I would think maybe something something 4 years around 85 million could be pretty fair for for him. For sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, especially and I mean, especially if the PED thing wasn't there and like you said that Brewers fans don't care about that. And you know, fans of the other teams are, you know, not most people don't have long memories, and yeah a lot a, of
1: people are kind of softening on on that I mean uh, Johnny Peralta got a big deal, Nelson Cruz got a big deal, right um, people are talking about Andy Pettit for the Hall of Fame now so, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go, and uh, David Ortiz too right one, so
1: yeah
0: um. So uh, speaking of shortstop, since we were talking about Heinley Ramirez, so okay, wait, uh, you and I are on the same page with Ryan Braun, right? Not a bad contract, like pretty good. Keep him. I mean, no, not, I mean, not it, necessarily keep him, but just the idea that it's not killing you to have yeah, that. Yeah, it's
1: contract. not. It's not a. It's not a must must move. It's not killing you. It's not a, a horrible contract. But if they end up moving him and, and getting some good value back for him, I would be okay with that.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, just like any other rebuild. Right. Um, rebuild thing. Um. So yeah, since speaking of shortstop, I know that we, you and I were talking about Gene Segura at some point, and um, you know, okay. So let me just phrase it, you know, in a simple way, which is: Is Gene Segura an major league average shortstop?
1: Uh, in my opinion, I would I would look at him as somewhere pretty close to that. Um, his bat lags a little bit behind what an. What a major league short, uh, an average major league st- shortstop is. I believe last night, checked, is hitting around uh, 270, 300 on base percentage, 320 slugging percentage. Got like a weight, runs created around 70. Um, but this year, I believe the average shortstop line is 256, uh, 300, 373. So it the weighted runs created is around 80. So Segura is really not all that far off from that offensively. Um, And then depending on where you want to look for your defensive statistics, Segura actually rates out pretty well. Um, UZR has him rated uh, slightly above, or uh, DRS has him rated slightly above average. UZR has him rated right around average. And then, uh, Fielding runs above average baseball prospectus' um, stat has him rated well above average. So I think it's fair to say that he's uh, about average, slightly below average as far as shortstops go with the bat, um, but his defense kind of makes up for uh, where he's lagging a little bit at the plate.
0: So, okay, so in terms of the offense, um, let's see, I'm looking at him now. He's number 23 in the majors in terms of WRC+. plus. Um, with, like, Alcides Escobar being just above him, and he's at, at WRC Plus of 70. So, I mean, I think even though he's not super far off, like, if you look at it from, from that point of view, every, like, I mean, WRC Plus is, is percentage, so every percentage point is relatively hard to gain. Like, going from a 65 to a 70 or to, to an 80 is not that easy. Um, because I think he, I mean, he would have to overhaul some of his approach or whatever. I mean, I, I I guess I'm not as, I'm, I'm optimistic that he could improve, but as of right now, I don't think he's close to average. Um, I, you know, if it was a, a scouting grade, I would give him a 40, um, for, you know, 20 to 80, um, combined like, or maybe even less if you wanted to combine power with it. Um, and then in terms of the defense, yeah, it definitely seems like there's a mixed bag there. But just if you look at the number of great shortstops playing today, like playing good defense, it's just isn't it really hard to be above average at shortstop at defense?
1: Um, I I wouldn't say that it's really hard. Just look at look at some of the guys. Um, like Alexi Amarista is getting every day at bats in uh, in San Diego, and um, God, I, these names escape me. But uh, the guy out uh, who's playing shortstop for Seattle, I believe, and and um, there's just a lot of shortstops that are Rodney really Roy. terrible that are getting every day at bats around the major leagues. And when when you look at some of these guys who are putting up OPSs in the in the high five hundreds. Um, that aren't bringing the same kind of value that Segura can defensively, it, it makes it look a little bit better for him. Plus, it seems like a lot of scouts have favorable views of Segura just kind of based on based on the things that I've read about him. And And, I mean, I think there's some room for him to improve offensively. I personally don't think that he's going to make a lot of more gains, but who knows? If he goes to another organization and is working with another coaching staff, what kind of things could possibly be unlocked? But I mean, when you look at how just blanketly poor offensively shortstops are around the game, I think that you could do a lot worse than having a guy like Sean Segura out there every day.
0: Uh, yeah. I guess so. Defensively, I think I think you're right. I just in in terms of defense, I just think that just shortstops are just such great athletes. You know, like it's it's kind of I always have a hard time differentiating everyday shortstops from great shortstops. I mean, unless I'm looking at Andrel- Andrelton Simmons, right? She's unless I'm looking at Simmons, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy like you know Hetreria made an awesome play, but yeah I've, I've you know heard mixed things about his defense like sometimes it's really good sometimes it's really bad and uh it's just there's just such good athletes that it's hard to differentiate um between the great defensive ones and like the everyday ones so i mean i'd, I'd probably be cool deferring to scouts like you were talking about if, the, if they see good things in him then i definitely believe that um In terms of offense, again, I'd go back to him looking at the Fangraph's leaderboard. He's 23 out of 24 among qualified hitters. Like, I don't think he's close to average there. And if you are even less optimistic than I am on his uh, improvement there, I think that the bat is bad enough that unless he learns to play second base and becomes a decent utility guy, like, I'm not sure what you do with him. He's he's twenty three out of twenty four at sixty five WRC plus. Only one qualified shortstop is hitting worse than him, but Starlin Castro.
1: Um, I think that a lot of his average were around two seventy, and I think that's really kind of what's carry most of his offense. He's never going to be like a really high base percentage. maybe two percent of his play appearances this year. He's not going to be a big slugger just because of how often he hits the ball on the ground. But he can continue to put the on the ball. Um, he'd be able to find playing time because it's that's just kind of the nature of of the game. If a guy can hit two seventy and play above average defense, even though we know that that some of those numbers are a little bit antiquated, there's hmm. still probably going to be roles for those guys.
0: Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. I guess I I kind of want to just wrap it up and. Uh... And talk about the overall rebuild plan and like where do you th- where do you see the window of contention like knowing where the farm system is knowing where the the you know the prospects are coming up um, where do you see the window of contention for the Brewers
1: um, I think the window might start opening a little bit around 2017 2018 um, give these guys uh, the, the biggest prospect pool right now is down in, in AA, uh, down in Biloxi. So give those guys another another two seasons or so to kind of develop down in AA, A, and, and uh, you know, start getting their feet wet a little bit at the major leagues. I'm sure we'll start seeing guys like um, Arcia next year. We'll probably see uh, Michael Reed a little bit next year. He's at AAA right now. Um, might see probably some of Brett Phillips next year. Uh, and then the continued development of guys at the big league level like Domingo Santana and Jimmy Nelson and Taylor Youngman in the rotation and Zach Davies recently added to the rotation. Um, I mean, as far as a rebuild goes, we have a pretty solid foundation to start with right now. Um, I think Doug did a good job at the deadline ta- or, uh, targeting a lot of guys who are um, – pretty close to major league ready, which is hopefully going to shorten that, that window of, of sucking to a two or three year period. So that by the time 2018 rolls around, we're talking about a team that, you know, could have a outside, outside shot at sneaking into the wild card. And, you know, 2019 to 2021 or 2022 will probably be your prime contention years, um, as far as trying to leverage this base of talent. But, I think there's still some work that needs to be done, um, outside of, uh, outside of probably Arcia and maybe Phillips. We don't have a whole lot of superstar caliber guys, at least that look like that right now in the system. So mm-hmm. we could still work on adding some of that more high upside talent, um, which hopefully things kind of play out a little bit here in the next month. And we can, uh, secure ourselves a nice little top five draft pick next season, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, I think uh, as far as, yeah, the rebuild goes, we have a pretty good solid foundation, uh, be a couple lean years the next 2016, 2017, but I think um, once 2018 rolls around, we're going to start getting decent again, and then have a three- to four-year content- contention window after that.
0: Well, great. Uh, well said, Kyle. So, that's Kyle Liznitsky you can follow him on Twitter at BrewerFan28, and you can Um, read his writing on uh, reviewingthebrew.com. Thanks, Kyle.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Benita. I appreciate the opportunity.